What's up, bikers? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Bar Podcast live stream, episode 110. And today's guest is Diamondback Bikes, and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard of them, especially if anybody's like in my age range, you definitely remember them from back in the day. So it'll be a very interesting conversation, as well as what they're doing today. But before that, let me do let me do the normal thing here at the beginning. If you guys haven't followed me on Facebook or Instagram, just do it. And then maybe I'll stop asking every one of these every episode, or I'll just be talking to somebody other than you and you won't have to worry about that. However, I do want to mention something else a little bit different today is I had um, a company reach out to me, Lab Austria. Austria, Austria, I really am going to screw up their last name, the name of the company. You think I would get that down, but it's, it's just spelled funny and I can't get it out of my mouth. But anyways, they have the best hip back that I've ever used. And, um, that's a big, bold statement, but I will, I will say that it's my favorite. I've tried a bunch of different hip packs that have bladders in them and don't have bladders in them. And really what I just wanted was something that was like basically carry two water bottles. And if there's any storage in there at all, that'd be great. And um, I ended up picking up one of their bags and it's just been my favorite. And I um, recently had to pick up another one because I've had the other one so long that I just wore it out. I've definitely told all my friends about it and even did a 90 second review on it a little while ago. So if you want to go over to the biker channel, you can check that out as well. But if you're interested in buying one, there's a discount. If you use the show, the link and show more and go over there and check it out. It's, um, Definitely, definitely worth the money. It's I have been pleasantly surprised with with uh, with using it, and um, they're helping out sponsor today's show. So go check that out. Do me that favor if you don't want to. If you don't want to do that, and you do want to do something for free, like I said, go to Instagram, go to Facebook, give me a follow over there. If you haven't followed this, if you're watching on on YouTube, go ahead and hit subscribe. And uh, if you like the content, thumbs up. That's that's pretty good. Those of you guys on the podcast, if you are interested in writing a five-star review, you should definitely take the time to do that. If you don't think it's quite five-star, I wouldn't waste your time. So <laughs> anyways, let's go ahead and bring the uh, guests back on. Let's see if I can do this without screwing it all up. Here we go. Bam, bam, bam. All right. How's it going? <laughs> Hi there. Good. Hello. So um, we have today Jill and Michael. I would hope that those of you who are listening can tell the difference between who's who. <laughs> and those of you who are watching, uh, apparently you should be able to get it as well. Jill, if you want to introduce yourself and then then Michael, just so we can kind of understand what you guys do there. Yeah, I'm uh, Jill Nazir. I'm the marketing director at Alta Cycling, which is the parent company for Diamondback Bikes, Redline, uh, <clears throat> iZip Bikes. And I've been with the company about four years now. Cool. My name is, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go for it. I was just okay. going <laughs> to. I'm Michael Brown, and uh, <clears throat> I'm the VP of product development here. Uh -huh. And um, I have been with Diamondback specifically since 2003. Uh -huh. uh, and then I've had, you know, various brand responsibilities, you know, surrounding Redline and iZip and a few others um, uh -huh. over the years. But Diamondback has been a part of my life since yeah, 2003. So I think that's 19 years. Yeah, that's a long time. That's <laughs> a long time. Yeah, it's been awesome. I mean, honestly, it's um, it's been a lot of fun. So, so you said 2003. Yeah, yeah. So some, somewhere around there, you guys as a company, I think, were making some pretty big changes, weren't you? There was a lot of big changes uh, that year prior to my arrival. Yeah, and then we started. Uh, 
then we started really doing some bigger changes about you know two three years after my arrival so when i was writing the the intro like the show notes basically ahead of time um when i was when i i, I was a kid you know in the, the 80s and early 90s in high school and uh i did a lot of bmx and back then mm -hmm. there was basically like four bikes that you wanted you know it was like gt haro diamondback or mongoose Yep. And Redline was one of those other ones that wasn't like always known, but like if you're on the BMX courses, like everybody <clears throat> yeah. was like, yeah, that's a good bike. And um, I I don't know if it was just me personally or it actually happened, but because around then I, I started getting into mountain biking. Sure. And I just didn't really hear about Diamondback at all for a while. Mm -hmm. Was there like a, a period of time before you actually got into mountain bikes or was um what was what was it that kind of happened through there well you know gosh let's say it's, uh, maybe it's life happened yeah um, yeah yeah there, there were there were a lot of changes with the company you know over the years uh -huh. like through the 90s you know leading to uh you know the i'd say the more monumental changes that happened uh -huh. right around the early 2000s where the company was bought and sold like a number uh -huh. of times yeah and and the direction of the company had changed a couple of times and so yeah during let, uh, during that period of time, the brand wasn't getting the love that it deserved, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you didn't see uh, a lot of new development happening during those, like say latter nineties, early two mm thousands, -hmm. there was, I think still a little bit of a, you know, let's call it a lack of direction at that mm -hmm. point with the brand other than, Hey, we got a great brand. Let's sell a lot of bikes. You know, that yeah, was kind yeah, of the yeah. direction. Uh, but uh, you know, I'd say roughly around 2000, four and a half we mm -hmm. we kind of dug our heels in a little bit and said no we need to we need to make this brand what it deserves to be you know mm -hmm. and that's what we've been working on and it's 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 been great uh challenging uh, mm -hmm. i think we've got a lot of high points in these last years but uh yeah nothing else but a a long road and a lot of things you know but uh, mm -hmm. really focused on making the product unique and and better and for you know for riders you know for mm -hmm. what they want to do um, we've always had athletes and we, you know, we had a lot of effort, you know, in those times with BMX athletes actually back mm -hmm. in the early two thousands. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, we had a very interesting, you know, again, this is kind of predating me, you know, we had, I think a world champion on, on diamondback. Um, I think he was from Australia. I forget his name. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm horrible at him. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun anyways. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, so I think over time, then you also, cause back then I, I, did you guys do, used to do road bikes and stuff like that, or it was just BMX back then? Wasn't it? Well, so, okay. So are, when you say back then, do you, are you specifically referring to my, my, my period of time? I don't even know. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you want to answer. So, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I think the in my head, it was I'll, like when I was. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the, sort of a fun synopsis. I mean, Diamondback has always been in road bikes, right? Really? uh yeah I we actually either. under the yeah. centurion brand before uh -huh. so that's a funny story which we won't go into uh <laughs> but but the interesting thing about diamondback which i think no one knows and has probably forgotten or it's comes up every once in a while but you know how we have this gravel craze happening right mm -hmm. with gravel bikes i gotta tell you diamondback was actually the first company to actually introduce you know a gravel bike to the industry back in i want to say the mid 90s which was actually at that time called the overdrive Mm -hmm. And it was a unique bike with 700C wheels. And at that time, Panaracer smoke and dart tires were the it thing. Yeah, yeah. And Diamondback actually commissioned, you know, 
pen eraser to make special 700 by 45 C smoke and darts uh, for that product. And it's kind of a fun thing to think about, um, you know, what's old is new again. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's also, you know, that honestly gave us the, uh, you know, again, just the uh, kind of gumption to say, yeah, we're, we're definitely, we can get into gravel bikes when the gravel bike started, you know, early when it started happening. Right. Um, right. You know, we, we felt we had the ability to kind of jump into that, you know, with, with both feet. Uh -huh. So, but yeah. Where do you, where do you, uh, where do you guys think that your brand sits like now? And what do you, what are you guys shooting for? Are you like happy with where you're at or? Who's ever happy with where they're right, at? Right, right, right. <laughs> I don't know, Jill, do you want to kind of, you want to hit that one? I don't, you know, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, you know, product is always evolving. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my, Michael and team are you know, constantly working to improve things that even if today we think, oh, these are really, really great, they're still going to work on improving it. So mm -hmm. like, you know, there's no, there's no stasis, you know, it just right. keeps evolving and evolving. And from the brand standpoint, I mean, we're, we're also kind of always evolving, you know, mm -hmm. we, we have, there's always a lot of commentary about like, mm -hmm. Why don't we see Diamondback back in racing more? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? You know, there's there's always going to be questions about why mm -hmm. don't you do more of X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. But I think we are in a really cool, sweet spot because, you know, as, as Michael said, you know, we've always been striving to make bikes for every rider and to make them as accessible as possible. And um, unfortunately, so much of that lands on the product team to mm -hmm. make that happen. But from the brand standpoint, it also kind of makes us a little more accessible, a little more like, you know, we're people you can approach and talk to us. Yeah. You know, we're not just going to sit there talking about spec with you all day. Like, yeah. we're happy with whatever you're riding. Like, if you're yeah. out on two wheels, we're thrilled by it. So right, right. I think that's like a really cool spot to be in that we don't have the pressure of having, you know, only podium finishes or, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. I, I think the builds that you guys have on the on the website are, I mean, they go from something that a, a very beginner would purchase to something that, you know, whatever skill set would ride. I mean, you're, I can't remember the names of all the models, but I was looking at, do you have one that's like a 180 up front, 150 in the rear? Something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Uh, yeah, we do. I mean, that, yeah, we, yeah, we, uh, with regards to accessibility and, and like say full suspension. Yeah, yeah. we have, we have the Atros series uh -huh. right right now currently, which is a single pivot bike. And uh, those start at like, I think seven or 800 bucks, right? So we've done really well with that bike for honestly, it used to be called the recoil. It used to be called um, the coil before that. I mean, we've had mm -hmm. this bike in the line for as long as I've been here you know, and, and in some fashion. And honestly, that low, that opening price point bike is one of our best sellers. And I think that's, that's a big part of, you know, who Diamondback is, and that's inviting, you know, people to come in and experience a better quality bike, and then which may lead them to then their even better quality, you know, bike after that, just, you know, get them into the sport. So yeah, yeah. I mean, what I was talking about a minute ago is the, the mission to carbon. Ah, yes. And yeah. That thing's like a huge, big squish bike. Yep. And let's just say, I mean, five grand is, is a lot of money for a bike. I would have never expected that to be, you know, <laughs> a, a, 
a normal price, you know, and now that's like, oh, okay, well, that's average. That's, you a, know? that's, a, that's a mid price bike now. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Which like, oh, it just dude. blows my mind because <laughs> yeah, my first bike in the 90s, my first mountain bike was like 500 bucks. And that was almost top of the line from Giant, you know? <laughs> Let's do the math on that. I bet you that's a $5,000 bike in those, right. those dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so, but on the other hand, you guys have that, um, that you have a hardtail that is mm -hmm. like, oh, what is that one called? It's like blue and white, the hook. Oh yeah. Yes. Again. 815 bucks. I mean, and, and a lot of times for somebody getting into the sport, a thousand dollars is still a lot of money, but it's something yeah. that they feel like they can swallow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I, I think that's just really, that's really a unique, like it's unique for a company to have bikes in, in that spread, you know? It's also, you know, to help, to help the consumers and to help grow the community of riders. You know, mm -hmm. I, I also monitor all of the Diamondback social media and it is very common that someone's getting into, especially mountain biking, because a friend or a family member or a partner mm -hmm. is encouraging them to do so. Yeah. And it can be, you know, really intimidating if your buddy is like, oh, come ride with me. Here's a $5,000 bike you should buy. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, much more likely that if there's a whole family of bikes, like the release 5C might be 5000 but a release 1 is going to maybe be a little yeah. more price accessible for that person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's only a couple of brands that when somebody mentions to me that I that I would recommend, you know, at, at the, the lower price price points where, you know, it's still a build that can be upgraded. You know, it's still a build that has decent parts on it. And at the end of the day, like it's mountain biking, you're going to break everything. You know what I mean? Like, like if you're actually out there riding, it, it's just going to break. So like, it is what it is. So you, you, um, you get forced into upgrading as, as, as time goes by. Right. It's part of so, the fun of it, right? Yeah. Right. It's, part of, it's, it's the progression, you know, it's, it's as you get better on your bike and as you learn, you know, how to use it and you, and you want to, you know, like say, get a little bit, you know, lighter bike or, uh, you know, or a different style of bike. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's the goal is to bring that person through that, you know, that journey. And it right? seems like that the, you guys have, I mean, you guys are carrying a 29ers, you're carrying a 275. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you have the gravel bikes on there. You have what's, being called urban, I guess is like, or something like that. It's just more like a, I don't know how you explain that to somebody that's not looking at the picture. Basically it looks like a, like a fixie, but with gears, you know, <laughs> but, but I mean, you have it in, in like, like what you said as well. I mean, you have a really nice kid's bike that, that is put together on 24 inch wheels. And um, so there's like something what you, like you said, for the entire family. What um, what are you guys looking forward to? Jill, you want to hit that one? Sure. Start um, there? <laughs> so, I mean, every year is an exciting year because we always have something new. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, as much as you know, dealing with what is going on in the current supply chain situation is always an adventure for all of us. Mm -hmm. So it's never boring. So we always look forward to that. But. I, I really look forward to, um, from the brand side of things, everything that we're working on as far as working with our athlete team and just trying to grow the community of riders. Um, we just signed a new athlete in January of this year. So 
we have, you know, two riders that focus a lot on gravel. We have three that focus a lot on mountain and um, everybody also has an e-bike. So it's kind of exciting that, you know, I think this group that used to kind of be pigeonholed and doing one thing, we now mm -hmm. can show that like all of this variety of bikes that we have that you just pointed out that mm -hmm. like, you don't have to ride one thing, you know, that you mm -hmm. really can be, a, you know, a multi-type rider. And that's, that's kind of exciting. Have you guys seen the supply chain issues, like change, like design decisions that you're making for, for next year? Or? I wouldn't say they've changed design decisions. Um, uh -huh. They have changed some spec decisions yeah, you know, for sure. So, but yeah, I'd say design stuff, you know, that's what we own, you know, as a brand. Right. right. So that's all within our control. So that's, you know, that's, that's the fun part, you know, of, really the big changes we made back in like 2004 and through right. six and beyond is just saying, look, we're owning this, this is us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the components are, you know, enhancements to those designs. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we're all fortunate, you know, to, to have access, you know, accessibility to like, you know, SRAM parts, Shimano parts. Yeah. There's some up and comers, like, you know, I'd say Microshift that's been out there for a long time, but they've been making some really quality products in that like core kind of price point that we're talking about to really mm -hmm. be accessible, but offer, actually innovation you know that's the thing we talk about right is innovating and you know sram's innovated on one buy um and microshift is in, a, in one buy on the high end right microshift mm -hmm. is innovating one buy on the more accessible products so mm -hmm. you know that's kind of what i'm excited about you know we're actually going to be introducing you know the hook going forward where currently the bike has a a bulky you know chain guide on it um mm -hmm. you know microshift's off you know offers us a drivetrain where we can get rid of that altogether uh, and run a one by system on that bike. And that's, that's, I guess, you know, that's exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, it is definitely. Yeah. What, um, what kind of challenges do you guys see coming up with, with the whole supply chain issues? I mean, I heard something the other day just about like, I mean, some of the bigger companies growing in and purchasing like, Hey, send me, you know, 500,000 stems. And I'll take, I'll take five years of inventory. <laughs> please. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, so, um, like is it, do you guys feel like you have it worked out that there's bikes coming in and you're going to be able to sell like what, what you see as far as like orders go, or do you feel like the market's kind of starting to level out some, you know? Yeah. Go ahead, Jill. Well, I can speak to like the more immediate. Um, uh -huh. the good news is that there's been so much chatter about it that most consumers understand. Right, right. Uh, we, we definitely had like 10 months where people were like, where are the bikes? And yeah. you know, sometimes before I can even answer, another person would say, like, you know, hey, are you living under a rock? Do you not know what's happening? Yeah. So right. I mean, by, by now and, you know, people seeing what's going on in the car industry or just raw materials, supplies, uh -huh. I think now, you know, the general market understands what's happening. And in a way, I think is making them almost more excited for the future because they know that like when something comes, it's really special. And, you know, I think that, you know, good for the retailers too. You know, we support independent bike shops through sales. And I think that the shops are really excited to, you know, have bikes to sell. And it's been really great for Diamondback, especially getting bikes out there in the hands of people who maybe don't want to order online. So that's, mm -hmm that's been exciting. And luckily the immediate future, we, we see some, some stuff moving, which is good, but Michael, you could probably speak to further down the line though. 
Yeah, I was going to say, you know, like I said earlier too, you know, it's opening up opportunities for alternative component suppliers, um, which is great. And we're happy about that, to be honest with mm -hmm. you. You know, we still make huge commitments to Shimano and SRAM and, and we're working on all that stuff and making sure we get our product, you know, when we need it and when we want it. So it's it's a, it's definitely added to the to the stress, you know, and the work level. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, for again, a lot of the bikes that we really you know love to sell, we've been finding great solutions. And, you know, and it's yeah, we're, we're I'm excited for all of it. So do you guys see more direct to consumer sales or, or is the retail still pretty strong? Yeah, retail's been really strong and um, definitely getting stronger, which is great. Um, you know, I think, you know, we were making a real effort to reach out to the independent bike shops again. You know, we do sell direct online. You know, that's that's mm -hmm. not a secret that we're on the channel. And I think everything that was going on with the pandemic and the bike boom and now, you know, I don't even know what we call this period we're in, our <laughs> new normal. But um it's definitely been our opportunity to step up and help the bike shops because a lot of shops maybe used to only carry one or two brands. And then, mm -hmm. you know, once they started looking for bikes that were available and we had them. And so it was, you know, honestly really cool to be able to step in and help those shops out and get them some bikes. And, um, you know, even from the marketing standpoint, partnering with them more, that's, that's been great, but we continue to sell direct online as well. And, you know, any way we can get bikes out to the consumers that want them, be it through mm -hmm. a website or through a bike shop or online ordering and shipping to a shop, you know, mm -hmm. again, it all speaks to the accessibility. Any way we can get bikes out to people is a, a win in our mm -hmm. I saw on the on the, the website when people are ordering to home, it comes with like a tool pack and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. You guys want to talk to that or what the experience is like to, to buy online? Yeah, I can speak a little to that. So, um, you know, yes, when you if you ordered a bike straight to your house, it doesn't go to the shop first. You do have an option where you can send it to a shop if you really okay. don't want to have to build it. If you don't yeah. trust yourself, which I understand. <laughs> um, if you get it straight to your home, yeah, it, it comes with like a little toolkit and ideally everything that you would need to put the bike together. You know, we have assembly guides online and you know, oftentimes even the athletes will do little assembly videos. Like I know you've had Eric Porter on the podcast, yeah. Austin, you know, anyone who follows him on his YouTube channel, he has, you know, tons of really great and almost more in depth than what we go into as far mm -hmm. as unboxing a building, a bike. And, you know, he of course is, is an expert in all of that. So, you know, we yeah, even had like a shock pump possible. and everything. I was really surprised the shock pump, um, mm -hmm. like, uh, I want to say a mud guard too, as well. Yeah, yeah. Was with it, so mm -hmm. I really feel like I don't know why more companies don't kind of give you the whole package, you know, like that. Especially, especially like in in some of the price points that you guys are at, like people don't know what they need. You know what I mean? Like they just don't know, you know. And so I think that that's awesome that that's there. Yeah, and, and we're happy we're happy to you know help as much as we can. We have a great customer service team that definitely gets phone calls and they realize like someone put their fork on backwards you know it it, it happens so mm -hmm. um we're happy to help but you know again a lot of times it's almost better to support the local bike shop and have the bike shipped to them and let the pros do it too that's yeah but how much does it cost like a hundred dollars more or something like that or is it like what's the no i mean most of the adult bikes you can get shipped to the to the shop at no additional charge oh okay 
So then you wouldn't even have to pay anything extra to have them put it together. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Eric Porter. I've also had Seth on the, on the channel on, on the show before as well. I mean, you guys have, I, I feel like you guys as a company stepped into that space with the content creators a little bit before a lot of other companies did. What, what do you attribute that to? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's before my time, but, you know, obviously I've talked in depth with a lot of the athletes about, you know, all their time in Diamondback. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that the cool thing is a lot of my predecessors really saw that, you know, okay, if we're not going to, if we're going to make a conscious choice to not necessarily sponsor, you know, first place finishers or somebody who always has to be on the podium, then, you know, how else can they provide value? Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, at that time, I, a lot of people are still figuring it out. You know, now it's totally normal to sponsor a writer who's also a content creator. In fact, I think that's like assumed it's part of the job now. Yeah. But back then, nobody made that assumption. And I was actually just talking to Seth about this last week that, you know, the the person who had my role previous was really into YouTube and was watching Seth's videos and thought mm-hmm. they were great and, you know, pitched it to his boss and they decided that this was like almost like something to take a chance on, you know, because Seth didn't have a huge channel at that time. And, you know, even, even YouTube 15 years ago, wasn't, you know, what YouTube is today. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It really was kind of taking a chance, but like on, you know, good faith that he had a strong YouTube channel and, you know, now, now Porter's building a really strong YouTube channel. So it's definitely had this cyclical effect of like our team members are also influencing and inspiring each other, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they're, I mean, obviously I'm biased. I'm on YouTube too, but uh, I feel like there's definitely more. It seems like I, I meet more people that know the YouTubers than I meet people that know who pro podium. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a guilty of that my, myself. I'm, I've never really been a person that was into, into racing. Like, you know, unless you were like Tony Hawk, you know what I mean? Like, unless you were like the name that everybody in the whole world knows, but mm-hmm. like, I didn't, I didn't really know who anybody was. And even to now, like I go to Sea Otter and I've met some guys that are pretty famous in the mountain biking industry. And one of my buddies would be like, dude, you know who that was? I'd be like, no. You know, like you just like just said, hey, and walked away like you didn't even care. And I was like, just some dude to me, you know, like. (laughs) Well, I mean, Tony Hawk's a great example, because one of the reasons you knew Tony Hawk is because like that guy's a marketing machine. Right. Like, like, yeah, he's great at what he does athletically. But like he he had a plan. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You know, he didn't he didn't like just accidentally stumble into it. So (laughs) (laughs) you're right. Yeah, totally. So, um. What what um what what are some of the models that you guys sell the most? Um, so of the hardtails, the hook, line, and sinker are really popular. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, it's kind of like those entry level to mid level price points. So it's like if it's your first bike or maybe your second, you know, you're really excited about it. Um, and then full suspension, like catch and release, is our like mid travel family, and that's what everyone gets excited about. And Honestly, I think part of that is because there's so many variations in spec that mm-hmm. you can like be a part of that cool bike family, but you don't necessarily have to be at the five thousand dollar price point. Yeah. So, so um, those so are the definitely hook, the two most popular. 
the hook line and sinker so hook is just on the i'm just going off the site 815 the line is 900 and the sinker these are all hardtails or is it about 1500 what's the what's the big thing in componentry there that's changing between those suspension and brakes yeah. and and then um yeah tires yep mm -hmm. so we do a little bigger tire on the sinker uh -huh. as we go up and then at, then in the the full suspension you, you had mentioned the release and what else was the catch uh, the catch and release so the really uh -huh. the release is kind of like the main family and that's you know some of them are 29ers some of them are 27.5 and uh -huh. then um the catch was a part of that family which had plus size tires oh okay do you guys see the plus tires uh sticking around or you think that's kind of phasing out it's phasing out there's a, you know, they, I think, uh, you know, you're seeing people running a bigger tire, but not up to that size. You know, there's, yeah. the, 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 I think the weight part of it is what's driving that, you know, the extra weight that that bigger tire offers. And the performance advantage of just getting a lighter tire really does um, play well, you know, on the trail. So, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's kind of a uh, catch 22 for me. I really enjoyed the plus tire, but I honestly rode like a 2.8. So it wasn't like I was, you know, full on like to the size that some, some people were riding, but that I'm a bigger guy. So yeah. the plus tire for me when I first started riding them was like, oh, wow, this is what grip feels like. Yeah. You know? So, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, right now I ride 2.5 on, on both my bikes and I don't know. It seems like you can get away with that just fine. Yeah. So, yep. So you guys have all you have some carbon bikes and some some aluminum, um, but it seems like spec wise on the wheels that everything's aluminum there to keep the yes. kind of keep the prices down. Yeah, <clears throat> we do a carbon wheel set on uh, the high end Honcho. Oh, you do? Okay. Yep. Have you guys considered like creating some of those parts your, yourself to maybe to bring prices down, like like handlebars or hoops? It seems like everybody has a, a wheel company now. <laughs> everybody does, and I'll, you know, just for fun, we actually did invest in a, a carbon extrusion, or it's not an extrusion to be a mold for carbon, uh -huh. but a rim. You know, we do we have that in the background, but it just hasn't you know come to fruition at the at this point. We've had it for about three years actually, but uh -huh. um, it's it's uh, yeah, it's just an interesting mix of costs, right? So, mm -hmm. but yeah, we we've we've spent time um, actually making our own alloy extrusions as well. So like the Blanchard wheels that you see, um, mm -hmm. that's actually named after a trail and a, a mountainous area up north of us in Bellingham. Where oh, okay. there's a lot of real popular you know popular trails and stuff yeah um so anyway long story short yeah we we've definitely spent our time creating our own wheel company but we don't have we we haven't really spent time marketing that but we we put them on the bikes and we definitely uh, provide i would think you know what i would like to think is a, a next level wheel for the consumer without completely advertising it but um, mm -hmm. you know we're tubeless you know it's you know we have an offset uh, uh spoke bed so you know everything's really well thought out you know with with these uh, rims that we're offering so mm -hmm. but uh, but not a standalone wheel brand yeah, yeah yeah no i understand but something then that's how you're helping to try to bring the cost down a little yep. bit is yep. development on your own there yep. do you see the do you do you think that you're selling just as many carbon bikes as you are aluminum or does it seem like it's one way or another we tend to sell more aluminum um just because the price point honestly mm -hmm. but 
you know, we, we for sure see the people who want us to do like the step up, like they want to graduate to the carbon. So mm-hmm. we get asked a lot about carbons, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, I have an alloy. I'm ready to make the move up. So mm-hmm. that's talked about a lot. But for sure, we have tons of models that are aluminum. Mm-hmm. So we definitely sell more of those. Do you see a lot of uh, brand loyalty there? Or do you feel like once people have used your bike as like the entry level bike to get them into it, then they're maybe looking at other brands at that point? I mean, I'm sure it would be yeah. naive of me to say people don't look at other yeah. brands. I'd like to think that they only look at us. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, we, I mean, we have tons of brand loyalty. It's, it's, I mean, the most common thing we hear when we're at an event is, oh, my first bike was a Diamondback or mm-hmm. like, oh, my, I just got my kid a Diamondback or I'm about to get my girlfriend a Diamondback or, uh-huh. you know, things like that. It's, it's very common that people either remember it from their childhood or someone else influenced them to get a Diamondback. So then they, you know, tend to graduate through the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think at our next event, Jill, we should make that a drinking game. <laughs> no, because we, we got to work. <laughs> That could be a dangerous drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, I'm in a drinking game. So, <laughs> where? Uh, so you guys are located? You said in Seattle area. Uh, Kent, Washington. So uh-huh. it's it's like 40 minutes south of. Seattle. Okay. It's next yeah, to the airport. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really, really close to the airport. Yeah. It's nice up there. Lots of like really good riding, and I've, I've been up in that area a couple of times. It's super, super super nice up there <clears throat> where um where, where do you guys develop the bikes at they're in seattle as well or yep yes and then what, what about manufacturing where, where are they where do they get put together at well you know uh we we have various you know points of manufacturing um mm-hmm. you know right now uh you know we've been centering in on mostly taiwan for frame assembly frame making mm-hmm. uh with uh you know with um I guess, you know, a lot of aluminum frames actually coming out both Taiwan and then also some, you know, out of other other locations like China still. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, full suspension, you know, we've, we're actually transitioning all of our full suspension, you know, out of China into Taiwan mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and, uh, and stuff like that. But yeah, we pretty much focus in assembly we do in both Taiwan and we actually have moved assembly out of out of China. We're doing mostly most of our assembly of bikes in uh, Vietnam. What's the push to get out of China? Tariffs. Tariffs. Yeah, I, w- I was just curious. So, um, what's that process like of designing the bike? So you have developers that are there in in Seattle. Let's just say for yep. for the point of it. And um, so then, how how do they go from a design all the way to to production. I'll try to make this quick. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, we have uh, we have you know we have an in-house engineer here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a couple of outside partners that we've worked with for gosh, I think almost a decade with uh, at least one of them, or actually both, uh, with that we work specifically one specifically on full suspension uh with kinematics and uh, some of the some of the uh, designs that we do like the level link. Um, mm-hmm. And things like that, you know, we work with a, a fellow uh, named Luther Beale of Level One, and uh, he's our, I'd say, primary kinematics guy. But you know, the guy we have here in house, he's also a very capable full suspension designer. So we have uh, we have that resource. Um, we also have we do have a singular resource in Taiwan that helps follow up on a lot of the details, which has been invaluable to us at least 
in the last you know couple of years where we can't travel mm -hmm. uh, anymore. Um, but uh, but the way the process works is quite frankly, um, you know, we do like we'll bring Eric Porter, you know, uh, into the office. You know, Eric's been a big part mm -hmm. of of where we sort of decide and and make our decisions with regards to product direction. Uh, our own experience through writing, you know, we have, uh, I mean, I'm not as capable as I once was, but we've got some guys here, a fellow named Doyle Savola, who's incredibly capable, very, mm -hmm. very much a, uh, needless to say, a very strong rider. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely, around. he pushes <laughs> short travel bikes on trails that should be done on missions, stuff like yeah. that. I mean, our our Yowie, actually, which coming out, has been ridden on every every big trail in the Northwest, yeah. multiple, multiple times. <laughs> I've tried to go with him on some of those rides and it's not good, but <laughs> anyway, so we do, we do a lot of extensive, like, you know, Doyle spends a lot of time on, on the bikes. Uh, Eric Porter spends a lot of time on the bikes um, and we get their feedback and we make changes if need be. Uh, and we communicate, you know, these changes, you know, through, you know, uh, the factories that we work with and, uh, and that's a process that takes time, you know, and and uh, and once we've confirmed on everything, you know, that then goes into tooling, you know, where you, mm -hmm. you have to tool up the bike. And then we send that into, you know, testing internally and then also third party testing to make sure that everything's going to function and mm -hmm. um, all that fun stuff. And then when we get that done, we then write them all again mm -hmm. um, and uh, and go from there. And within all that, which I didn't mention, is there's a lot of shock tuning sessions. So mm -hmm. we'll work very closely with uh, with uh, with with RockShox um, and Fox, you know, and do independent ride tests with them um, using their rear shocks mainly, uh, mm -hmm. honestly, because that's where you really need to kind of refine, you know, your rear suspension, you know, performance. And again, based on the use case, right? So I mean, a rear shock that goes on a mission is going to be tuned completely differently than a rear shock that's on a Yowie. So mm -hmm. um, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of activity that goes on with that stuff. But we're also using math, right? So right. you can take a suspension curve, you know, from a drawing, apply that, you know, you know, Fox and both RockShox have great, you know, development teams on each side. And yeah. we get an issue, we'll get an initial tune. We'll ride that, figure it out, you know, add, add um, <clears throat> volume spacers, things like that mm -hmm. and dial that stuff in. And then, yeah, you know, once we get that all confirmed, we, you know, that thing gets fired up you know, in the assembly factory boxed up and shipped, you know, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. I had a cascade component on a while ago and he had said something similar, you know, with, he's like, it's math. He, he said, I can pretty much figure this stuff out, how it's going to work without actually putting it on the bike. He said very, very like it, it was rarely that you would put it on the bike and be like, Oh, this isn't and be surprised. Right. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that's true. I mean, yeah. honestly, that's why, like, you know, again, Eric Porter, or, you know, again, people that have spent lots of time on bikes, getting their feedback is invaluable, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, no, it's, I was going to ask that question, too, if you guys are using yeah. your athletes to help help yeah. develop. And we, again, we design toward, let's say, mm -hmm. that goal, you know, and if, if you were to ask Eric Porter what his main goal is for a bike, there's one word. What's that? Play, playful. Playful, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's good. If it's not playful, it's not, it's not good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and that those words alone will will help us, you know, kind of define, you know, how we how we design a bike, you know, or how we approach that particular product. And, you know, honestly, all of our bikes, the way they are designed with the differential, you know, longer fork, you know, shorter rear uh, mm -hmm. is it lends it exactly to that to that feeling because yeah, yeah. that shorter travel in the back just gives you that kind of flickability, you know, that yeah. uh, the bigger, longer travel in the back would would kind of maybe take away. So 
that front fork is what hits everything first, you know? So right. that's why you like that long travel in the front. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then, yeah, the, the shorter travel in the back is it's kind of the bonus, you know, with regards to just, you know, again, the flickability or the, mm -hmm. the maneuverability of the bike. So it feels lighter I beneath you. How are, how are you getting the like what are the forks that are coming on some of the lower end end builds that you guys have are they still from those companies just like a a different like a <clears throat> yeah like from RockShox they have a full you know range of you know range of forks you know and mm -hmm. they go deeper in price points than say Fox does you know Fox has mm -hmm. a, a fair a, 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 let's say a pretty limited mostly mid to high or I should say high end really yeah yeah with the, with the rhythm being their kind of low end. Um, but yeah, you know, Rock Shots, you know, offers all the way into the Judy, you know, category, yeah. um, you know, and that's, I think, the lowest one these days. Um, the Recon is a popular fork to spec. Um, and then, you know, kind of going up from there. <clears throat> and then even below that, like forks that you see on the hook, line and sinker, you know, you know, they're good entry level forks from SR Suntour, um, which is a pretty predominant brand for middle price point bikes. And we do our best to put as many features on those those bikes as possible, you know, given the price point. Um, but uh, but yeah, when you start getting to that performance level, you know, RockShox provides kind of an earlier option, mm -hmm. you know. So, how do you? Um, I, I saw on that the Atros. Is that how you guys pronounce it? Mm -hmm. That you have a, a coil on there. Who's that mm -hmm. by? That actually, uh, that is by. Uh, oh gosh, I want to say. It's changed over the years because lower price coil over rear shocks are difficult to come by. Yeah. Um, and so we were, you know, purchasing, which I have to double check this. So don't, please don't quote me, but we were uh, purchasing an X fusion rear shock, uh, <clears throat> which, uh, you know, X fusion, obviously they, they've also tried to grow their business in the upper end. And, uh, and that, that particular brand um, is also made by uh, APRO, which is the frame maker that we use for alloy frames. Um, what made you guys decide to use the coil there instead of trying cost. to find just cost? cost? Yeah. Yeah. To keep the price low. Um, an air can rear shock, you know, it needs to be machined correctly in order for it to work right. Mm -hmm. So um, that then the differential, the price differential between a coil and an air shock is quite big. Although, mm -hmm. you know, air shocks have come down in price over the years, but it's still, you still have to have good seals. You know, you can't mm -hmm. have crappy seals. So mm -hmm. So yeah, and then just to really get into that price point, the the coilover is is the is the way to go. And and that that rear shock, for the performance level that it is, I mean, really the only problem is it's just heavy. That's the biggest problem. I mean, yeah, you could ride that thing and it feels pretty good. You know, you could you've got preload rings, so you can kind of adjust the suspension a little bit. But mm -hmm. you know, the weight is really its only downside. Mm -hmm. So and a lot of folks, you know, prefer coil, the feel of coil, but. Again, that when you get to the high level coil like that you're seeing from Fox and Rockstar, that's a completely next level product. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've yet so. to try one. Everybody tells me I should, and I'm, it's just like one of those things where I feel like it's really hard for me to talk myself into spending the money on something that I don't know if I'm gonna like. You know? Do you like cushy uh, suspension? Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's it's the, it's the best on small bump compliance. Yeah. You know? So you're going to you're going to you're going to feel a little smoother with a coil. Yeah, so. I think I just need to pull the trigger and and take chance and you know worst case scenario I could probably sell it so. You can get a hookup somewhere, right? You can get a hookup. Yeah, right? I would imagine. You, one you, of must, these you, days, must know, you must know somebody in the industry. Yeah, one of these days it'll <laughs> fall into place. I, I I could probably say I haven't put a lot of effort into trying it. You don't have my email address or anything, right? <laughs> 
So yeah, it definitely would be one of those things would be fun to try, but um, I don't know. What bike are you riding right now? I have, well, I have two bikes that I ride. Mostly I have a, a Bronson and a tall boy. Okay. And uh, I've been riding that short travel 29 or even more and more. It seems like, cause I live in Northern California, pretty close to Tahoe. Okay. And the Bronson really only gets out whenever I sure. know I'm going to get somewhere. It's real chunky. Yep. And when I first got the the short travel 29er, I really um, I was like, oh, it'll be better for the local trails. And I kind of did what you were saying your guy did is like, just kept taking it to worse and worse places. Just and take it the trails like, you love. Yeah. yeah, you know, and yeah. I think it'll be all right, you know. And there's been a few few times that I was like, all right, that really like work the hell out of like my my body suspension you know like, yeah for sure. your shoulders and your legs are just done <clears throat> at the end of the day yep and you realize okay that might have been a little bit too much but on the other end you're like it, it also i also still had fun yeah and, for sure yeah so it's and it's it's getting you know i've been riding for so long it's, it's starting to get harder to know um what it would be like if if i was a beginner you know like like I'm pushing that short travel bike like to the the edge, you know, basically. But if I was going a lot slower, it might not it might not even be it it might be a great bike for somebody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard to say, you know. Yeah. Cuz in some circumstances slow is, is a little easier. I mean, obviously if you go too slow, you're just going to you're going to be stopping yourself, yeah. but momentum is your friend. That's yeah, the motto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it used to be yeah. one of those things that you hear though when you're a newer rider that people are like oh when you go faster it'll be better and you're it like will be. as you a new just... rider you're you're like forget you i don't even yeah. want to hear what you're saying it's like an f1 car <laughs> right the, fa the faster you go the easier it turns right right uh, yep so what do you guys how do you guys come up with your your color schemes and stuff like that <laughs> so we have um an in-house uh design team of two people. So, uh -huh. I mean, they, they do everything. They do color and graphics and all of that. And so basically, um, Michael Brown's team, you know, they, they do some engineering and they start to kind of see how the bike's going to take shape. And then our design team actually goes to like, um, outdoor retailer, um, they'll go to car shows. So they're not just looking at the bike industry to copy what other brands are doing mm -hmm. color wise. They're like, looking at outdoor apparel, they're looking at what's coming with cars, especially because mm -hmm. cars are, you know, often in a similar production schedule, you know, like you'll get to see like the year forwards cars. Mm -hmm. So they use a lot of that. They research color trends and go to Pantone meetings and all of that. And then um, they put a lot of work <clears throat> into making a lot of different options. And then a bunch of us sit in a room and tear down all those options yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we all we all basically like you know go to bat for the ones we like or the colors we know will sell or just mm -hmm. you know sometimes going out on a limb that we're not sure if people are gonna like it but it looks so cool and we're all so yeah. excited about it that we that we just do it <laughs> yeah no it, it's definitely it's it's something that i always am curious about how those decisions are made because i know as a somebody that's done design work as far as like web design stuff goes and it it's it's tough to come up with what colors that you actually you know you want to you want to work with and then um i would imagine you guys have you know sales numbers that you can look at and be like 
well, every time we try yellow, it doesn't work, you know, or whatever it is. Well, unfortunately, I mean, we we all joke about it. If you go by the sales numbers, every bike will be black. Yeah, everybody. So, we take that with a grain of salt. I yeah. mean, we definitely do have black bikes. <clears throat> yeah. One of our brand colors. But um, yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, it it really is like four of us could really love a color and two mm-hmm. people could hate it. And so sometimes yeah. you do majority rules. Um, I'll also tell you it's been interesting in a pandemic because we have our color meetings on, you know, virtual on our computers. And every computer also has slightly different yeah. screens and the colors yeah. look a little different. So, um, you know, that's they order tubes and stuff to be able to see what the colors look like. But in the end, when we finally get to see the photo sample in real life and not on a screen somewhere, yeah. it, it really is like Christmas. Like we all get really excited yeah. about finally getting to open the bikes and seeing them in person. So, yeah, I would imagine because I know I've definitely been shocked by what I saw in person compared to like what, what I thought I was purchasing in the past. So it's definitely, <laughs> there's definitely been a few times where I was like, Oh, that doesn't look anything like, and then you go back and you read the color name and you're like, Oh, I see. They did do, they did tell me. I just didn't hear that. You know? So Yeah, totally. And it, you know, for us, like when we shoot photography of it, it depends on where you're shooting, you know, we're in the Pacific Northwest. It could be, like dark and raining under tree cover one day and it could be like super bright and sunny in a desert like atmosphere the next day so um, yeah. it, it will always look different but <laughs> so it's always so a process. Are, yeah yeah here you there so are the colors that are on the website now is that what's selling through 2022 or is there new colors coming soon or depends on on the bike some of what's yeah. on there now are the 22 bikes so it's like what you know is here or more of them are coming and then we will eventually also have a color refresh as the year goes on. So kind of depends on like what bike it is. And, you know, as mm-hmm. Michael said, we manufacture in a few different places. So they're all kind of on different timelines. Mm-hmm. Is there a, is there a like industry standard bike release time of the year? Or is it really up to each individual company and what they do? Um, I think pre 2020 there, there was, you know, like uh-huh. a lot of new bikes would start to come out. A lot of bikes would like launch at either sea otter right. or they would wait for Eurobike in the fall. <clears throat> uh-huh. see like one or the other. Uh, now, uh, whenever we can get the bikes is when their launch date is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like Tuesday in March. Yes. <laughs> <They're here. laughs> it's, we always pretend like it's intentional though. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's marketing, right? <laughs> That's funny. So, um, do you do you see that kind of staying that way, or do you think that that the industry will go back to the way that it was, where it's more of a traditional timeline? I'm sure that's easier for you guys to plan for and stuff. Michael, do you have an answer for that? <laughs> well, I'll comment. You know, um, honestly, you know, with the internet. And, and folks like yourself and other mm-hmm. platforms, you know, honestly, it hasn't, I would say even before the pandemic, you know, you had people or companies launching bikes. Again, I think with complicated bikes, it really is defined by the development schedule and, mm-hmm. and when you can get it through all those steps that we kind of mentioned. Uh, and you, you'd see bikes being launched, you know, in November and January and, you know, it didn't, mm-hmm. it started not mattering so much, right. Mm-hmm. Especially, especially with, 
some of these higher end bikes, like, you know, full suspension bikes and stuff like that. It's kind of like the, the minute you get your newest thing ready, you know, when you want to launch it, you don't want to wait. Like, you know, again, the traditional time frame was, yeah, wait till about July Mm -hmm. uh, to launch a bike to the consumer or sea otter in the, in the case of say earlier launch or what have you, Mm -hmm. but to use a, use an event to really make a splash uh, with your new product. I think the interesting piece to that puzzle is, I don't know if you guys ever experienced this or your your, uh, viewers or listeners, but you know, companies would launch a bike, like say at sea otter, but oh yeah, it's going to come in in the fall. Yeah. Yeah. They'll deliver it in the fall. (laughs) You know, that's kind of, that was the traditional cycle, you know, where, you know, you get all this hype about a bike and sea otter and it's like, oh yeah, well, when can I buy it? Oh, it'll be in dealerships in December. Yeah. You know, and then over yeah. the summer, over the summer, you get delays from Shimano. Oh, yeah. it's going to be February. <laughs> you know, yeah, that was kind of I mean, how it did. That's how it worked before. I think, yeah. I, think we, I think we're working towards an improvement now, actually, with just being kind of launching when the bike, the product is ready and available, you know, and that's yeah. what makes sense. Yeah, I've definitely bought a bike when it first launched and then we played this like every two weeks game for like three months sure until i actually got it you know i was like that wasn't the way that i thought this was supposed to go you know but um i mean it is what it is and yeah i think that that's that's interesting though you know you mentioned sea otter and um and eurobike or do you feel like some of the other smaller events have a lot of value as well or more value? Or do you think that Sea Otter is really packing the punch that? I think for us, the smaller events actually have more value. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, Sea Otter will always be important. You know, it's, yeah. it's great from the industry perspective. You know, we get to go out and see everybody. We get to see the racing. We get to have like our meetings and, mm-hmm. you know, I get to see a lot of like the our athletes or our nonprofit partners. You know, it's nice to all be in the mm-hmm. same space. Seattle is yeah. very important. But we do very well when we can actually have interactions with like real humans. Right. And we tend to really thrive more in the small to medium size events where we can actually like sit and talk to yeah. people. So, you know, we saw you at Sedona, you know, Sedona's yeah one of my favorite events to go to, you know, from the brand and marketing seat, because we're not like in a rush trying to shuffle hundreds of bikes and demos in and out the yeah. door and like, okay, nice to see you. Goodbye. You know, we can right. actually just sit and talk and hang out, which is really yeah. who our brand is. You know, we want yeah. to be able to sit and talk to everybody. So it helps. Yeah. Sedona is a super fun event. I, yeah. I can't speak highly enough about it. It just seems like it's just really put together well and it has the right number of people and vendors and whatnot. I don't know like if they're trying to make that one grow more or not, but um, it definitely seems like they're, they've been doing a good job with that. Is there some other event that's more um, more on the East Coast that you guys like would think is like the same kind of event as Sedona or? Yeah, we haven't gone east a lot recently just because we're such a small team, but mm-hmm. we're we're considering some East Coast events for next mm-hmm. year. But also, you know, Seth is going to be opening his public bike park, you know, yeah. fingers crossed this year. Yeah. And we're, we're a sponsor of Berm Park and we have like uh-huh. a sponsored line and everything. So we're really hoping to, to yeah. get out to see him, you know, this coming year so we can see the park and, you know, hopefully do something fun there for everybody. Yeah, that would be super exciting. So, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Oh. Would you be in, in like in that like bringing like demo truck or something like that? Is what you would think, or hopefully, 
Fingers yeah. crossed. Um, you know, we're also very lucky that there's um, like retailers in that area too. So we're going to try and find a way to make it work because, you know, we were, we were thrilled to help Seth, you know, with building the park and supporting the park, but mm -hmm. like, we want to go to the park. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it wasn't just out of our good graces. We right. Right. Yeah. No, it looks, it's, it's been a very exciting project to watch happen from, from the, from online, you know, and, uh, to see it actually come to fruition, that that's pretty rad. And, um, I, that guy's always coming up with something else. He's, he's definitely, um, he, I guess your own, your own, uh, Tony Hawk, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, but, but like still average, you know, like he's still, you know, average Joe and, yeah. you know, for a while when he was really hurt or like, you know, he and his wife had had a baby, you know, life happens and yeah. you know, you're not out riding every minute of the day. And that's, that's real life. You know, he wasn't yeah. going to like fake it and pretend like he was going on like these epic rides every day while all of this yeah. was going on. And I mean, I, I joke like one of his videos last week, I sat and I watched him for 40 for like four minutes and 45 seconds making avocado toast. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You're like, I'm, I'm just going to sit here and watch you do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So he always finds a way, but it's really cool to see his progression from yeah. you know, bike hacks to now building this huge public bike park that he could be funded through like his Patreon and sponsors. And, yeah. you know, it, it like just goes to show that if you have a good idea and you're willing to work your butt off at it, it'll yeah, get big. Yeah, he's definitely quite the uh, the content creator. I used to always joke that I'd watch him put together a toilet, and then I've sat there and watched. I watched the avocado toast one too. So he got me on that one. So yeah. like, am I really watching him make a sandwich for his dog? Yes, I am. That's how I felt too. I was like, I can't believe I just watched that for four minutes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Do. yeah. So, um, and so you said, uh, oh, that's what I was going to ask you guys. So you have Sea Otter and you have Eurobike. I would imagine you guys got the same kind of emails that I did that Innerbike's talking about trying to put something together. Do you think there's room for something else like that? I mean, I think there's always going to be room for more events. You know, pe yeah. people will go to them. You, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll go. But there's also a lot of events now. And I yeah. think... You know, I also think it depends on the brand. You know, we're like people would be very surprised to know how small our team actually is. You know, we yeah. don't have like hundreds of employee of employees with 40 right. demo trucks. Right. And so if, for us, when we have to pick or choose where we're going, you know, we choose to go to a variety of events so we right. can meet a variety of different people. If we only went to like very specific bike events. Mm hmm. It may not be as valuable to us. For us, it's kind of nice to switch it up and like go to a big gear show, which is a mm -hmm. little more like outdoor focused, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. So I think it just kind of depends on like what your goal is for the event. You know, for, for yeah. Michael and his team, if they're meeting with suppliers and stuff, it helps them to go to a bike specific event, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, uh, you mentioned something about you guys being a smaller team. And I think that that's one thing that I've learned through the podcast and having my channel that a lot of the companies aren't these huge companies, you know, that people think that they are. And that's, um, it's interesting. It's really interesting. Cause I think that when, and I think these podcasts really help a lot for this as well. I, I call it like humanizing your brand, 
because I think a lot of times people just think like, oh, Diamondback, I knew that when I was a kid. So they must have, you know, just a bunch of dudes in suits sitting around like trying to cash checks, you know, or, you, you know, I'm like, For like, sure. you're, you you're, know, you're talking and, about the 90s. That's the 90s. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's the same thing too. Like, um, like Cali, they, they make the, that helmet that's back there. And I mean, you, you would think that, oh, that's a big company, but you go and it's, you know, it's like 20 guys or 30 people, you know, it's not, it's not a whole lot of people and it's not like they just are, you know, throwing money around, flying all over the world, going to every event because, you know, like that costs money, you know, it's, just, it's, it, you'd act, you have to see a return of it somehow. And, you know, you got to kind of weigh that out. So it's interesting to, to see, you know, how, how things have gone over the years. <clears throat> So when you guys are at at um, Sedona though, because that's coming back up, you guys do have demos there. How do what what kind of demos do you do you bring? Uh, I mean, it depends on the event. So like an event like Sedona, you know, which is the Sedona Mountain Bike Festival. So we'll you know try to we try to bring like our higher spec bikes because mm -hmm. usually when people come to an event, it's like yeah, they might be interested in a release one or two, but it's really cool to ride the five C. Right, you know, right, like, yeah you want to give them the experience of the bike they probably don't have yet. Or yeah. if they do already have it, they're really psyched to see the newest version of it. Uh -huh. So we tend to bring, you know, a lot of full suspensions, a lot of like our carbon or the higher end 29 yeah. alloys. Um, but then for an event like Big Gear Show, for instance, which is more broadly outdoor focused, we kind of bring a smattering of everything. Like mm -hmm. we brought the mountain bikes, but we had the gravel bikes, we had e-bikes, um, we just launched e-bikes this past year, so it was really exciting for both consumers and a lot of the media didn't have an opportunity to test ride those bikes. So, yeah. we, you know, we really want to let people try everything. You know, maybe they already have a mountain bike, but they're curious about gravel. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we want to just kind of bring a little bit of everything that we can. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping that you guys had that uh, that hardtail that we were talking about earlier whenever I had, had seen mm -hmm. you. I think I'd seen you at Sea Otter originally. And uh, that hook, and uh, I, I, I didn't talk to you there. I talked to somebody else, but it was like, no, we don't have that one. I was like, oh man, because to me, I, I really wanted to see like what that build like rides like, you know. And um, I, I, I know that you know, there's a lot of people out there that that want to spend a ton of money on bikes, but then there's also a bunch of people that don't. And I think for me to provide good content to people that I need to try all, all of the above, you know, and, and, and not just go and be like, Oh, this is a, you know, these brakes are crappy, uh, blah, blah. You know, it's like, well, dude, come on. You're not, you're not paying for a $5,000 bike. What do you, you, know, you got to like give the right review for it. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's really interesting to see how well some of the, the lower end bikes perform, you know, and, yeah, and that's where a lot of our retail partners really help us out. You know, a lot of, you know, we we have, you know, like a dealer locator on our website. We have opportunities for people to find the bikes if they, you know, do want to go somewhere local and try them. And, you know, sometimes even the athletes, they're not always getting the top spec bike. You know, Seth mm -hmm. had a hatch, which is our newest entry level hardtail. And mm -hmm. so he'll like sometimes compare you know, the highest end release 5C to an entry level spec and Porter mm -hmm. does it too. So, you know, sometimes we send them to the athletes and we let them give feedback, even though it's not the top spec, you know, it's kind yeah, of yeah. fun to see them compare it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's definitely fun to do as well. Do you guys, um, do you guys see yourself making some bikes that are exceeding the top of the line bike that you have now? Or do you think that that is, is a good place for you guys to be at and just try to keep the market there? <laughs> I'd say we're, <clears throat> you know, we've, we like where we're at with that, <clears throat> you know, like with the carbon bikes and the five C being the top mm -hmm. end, um, yeah. you know, it is easy to get to spec up um, from there, you know, and, and offer a bike, but quite frankly, you know, you know, the bikes that we're providing, you know, with a spec that they have are perfect for 99% of the riders out there. Yeah. And if, and if you want, you know, if you want something just that next level, you know, yeah. I mean, you could you can change some components, maybe make a little bit more investment in a wheel set, and that's the kind of stuff where when you do start getting in those upper echelons, people start thinking like they want this or that, right? Mm -hmm. So it's maybe easier for them to, you know, tune their bike to what they think is the right spec when they want to spend more and more money. Yeah, know? yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I find it hard, like for me personally, to like agree to pay. Let's just say. 10 grand on some of these bike newer bikes for like whatever their build is because to me right away i'm already like well i'm changing those tires yeah i'm putting this other dropper on because i like this dropper better i'm like changing this and changing that I'm like i don't want an xx1 derailleur i'll take a gx because i know i'm just gonna break the damn thing anyway so like like there's stuff like that where i, I don't know who buys those bikes like i, I dentists I, you know, yeah. And no offense guess, to dentists. No, no, right? You know, so. But for me, it, yeah, I just like, unless, um, yeah, <clears throat> unless we're getting a good, good, like, deal, like an industry deal or something, I don't know. Like, to me, it's just, I guess I just have too many preferences. And, and, sure, um, yeah. It, it seems like I'd rather build my bike at that point, you know, once you're starting to get into to spending that kind of money. Yep. So I would imagine too, like for you guys, it's just, you know, how do you decide then? You know, at, like right now, yeah, you got a Fox 36 on a, on a handful of your bikes. That's mm -hmm. a very popular fork. Yep. You know, if, if you might've chose something else, maybe you wouldn't sell as many because you, you know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So, for sure. I mean, we definitely spec like, you know, at a, at a, at a, at a price range, you know, like the best possible, you know, mm -hmm. suspension. I mean, that's, that's a that's a focus you know if you're to if you're to break down like how we we make decisions on spec it is it's that you know it's first the frame then the suspension then the wheels and then mm -hmm. the rest is kind of you know yeah it's cool that it's i mean a gx is a perfect component you know it's mm -hmm. it's a great a great durable high performing great component and it doesn't cost as much as an xx or an xo yeah yeah <clears throat> so yeah it's just um I mean, I think I, maybe I'm a little bit more budget conscious in that aspect all along. I mean, even with Shimano, when I used to use their stuff, it would be like, I'm not buying more than XT. It's just, you're just paying for it to get lighter. It's not really performing any better. At least that was my perspective. So, yeah. But, um, <clears throat> so, um, how, how does it work with like the component sets? Does like when you're building out that bike, do you get in a position where SRAM's like, well, we want you to use, you know, our brakes and our drivetrain, or do you have the ability just to like mix and match or how that, I don't know how that works with the industry. It depends, but like right now, actually the only per, the only company that does have, you know, kind of a requirement 
mm -hmm. uh, like that is SRAM, where uh -huh. you have to use you know their XSync ring if you're gonna mm -hmm. if you're gonna if you're gonna use their one by drivetrain. So mm -hmm. that requires some creativity, you know, on some bikes. <clears throat> if you uh, are let's say if you're you're specking something a little bit different, but mm -hmm. but uh, that's really the only one and. Uh, and then, but then compatibility comes into play, right? So, you know, Shimano stuff doesn't work with SRAM stuff, you know, so, mm -hmm. um, but brakes are a big, you know, brakes are a big departure area, right? So, you know, um, Shimano, uh, I would say, you know, let's just say as an overall trend, Shimano brakes have been outperforming a lot of brakes out there. So you'll yeah. see, you'll see spec with SRAM drivetrain Shimano brakes. Mm -hmm. That's not uncommon at all. Um, <clears throat> and that's and vice versa. I'm not going to say that they've made I some can good. From my perspective, <laughs> they, they, let's just say they had a they had a bad year. All right, yeah. with some brake technology, they then yeah. learned from that. Yeah. You know, and then they they kind of made some changes, and I think their yeah. brakes are definitely functioning you know way better now. But they still suffer you know yeah. from that hangover. And that's what's important about you know like gosh, you know being careful about innovation sometimes. But right, right. But uh, yeah, you, you have a, you know you have people that are just swear by you know some SRAM brakes and stuff like that, and then yeah. just swear by Shimano and, <clears throat> yeah. and stuff. So that's that's kind of the area where you see departure, right? Uh huh. Um, so yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure like if there if there are other brands were that way as well, and I, I didn't I didn't, wasn't sure you know because most of the time if I see a, a SRAM drivetrain, most of the bikes are running SRAM brakes then too. So I wasn't sure if that was. Like, <clears throat> They kind of get in where like you know they prefer it but that's not it's not a requirement it's not a requirement no, just yeah. just the just the drivetrain part that they have a requirement on uh-huh like they literally won't ship you parts yeah yeah so and then so that because they have their yeah so i mean they're i mean they could provide almost most of the bike for you if, if you want yeah. to yeah <laughs> i'm sure they would like that <laughs> i mean that's the thing that that's where they're they're very unique you know because i mean SRAM is rock shocks. You know, they have yeah. suspension, drivetrain. Um, yeah. There's there's zip wheels. Not that that's a mountain bike part, but right. I mean, they know how to make wheels there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, you guys mentioned earlier that you just recently brought out an e-bike. What was that development process like? Well, so we brought out four e-bikes and they're uh -huh. all focused around speed. You know, again, I think uh, for Diamondback, you know, we are always, you know, trying to push, you know, a little bit on the edge, you know, with, with, with what we're offering out there. Right. And so, you know, we had, you know, again, probably the, let's just say this without the easiest thing to do is a hardtail, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. one of the more difficult things to do is a full suspension bike. So right. for us, the quickest, the quickest route, you know, to say an e-bike offering was to go this direction, you know, offer a couple, you know, like, you know, three, I guess the response, the union one and two, and then the current you know, some really cool, you know, speed focused e-bikes. Um, and so that was a decision we made based on the fact that we could get those out quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and we are working hard right now on full suspension e-bikes. So that's something that we'll, we'll be, we'll be seeing here shortly from us. Um, mm -hmm. That's probably the biggest hole in our line at the moment. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Yeah. So the, I, the process, go ahead. I saw on your, your website that, High bike is also, I guess, under the same umbrella as you guys, or something like that, like a parent company or something. Nope. No. High. I'll I take, thought when, I'll, 
do a quick thing. We were just, we were distributors of high bike as a company. Oh. And, uh, and that's, that's, uh, that's something that, you know, is helping our business, you know, on, on, on the, uh, the side of, you know, filling that e-bike channel. Um, oh, okay. Some so of the then the other brands there. that were there as well, like Redline and stuff like that. So there's not actually an affiliation with you guys as a company or. So just to make it, Jill mentioned we're part of Alta. <clears throat> yeah. And Alta is we own Diamondback, Redline, and the iZip brand, which is a uh, like a recreational lifestyle e-bike brand. And okay, those are the three brands that we focus on. Um, the other brands that we're associated with are Ghost, uh, High Bike, as you mentioned, and and Raleigh also. And those are brands that we've been in a uh, in a let's call it a uh, distribution uh, mm -hmm. role with uh, for the last couple of years. Oh, interesting. And um, yeah. Oh, so I wasn't sure if they had like, cause I know they were doing a bunch of stuff. I remember seeing a bunch of their stuff like e-bike wise at the last interbike that there was mm -hmm. yep. a couple of years back. So I wasn't sure if there was some kind of like blending in there as far as you guys developing your, your e-bike or, or not. So, but no. Totally separate. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> So you're saying that you're you're probably some full suspension e-bike coming out here in the future and mm -hmm. we'll have to wait for Sea Otter or something like that. Or Monday. What would we say earlier? Tuesday in March. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually for us, you know, everything's got to be done by two o'clock. So right, right. Yeah. Tuesday at two next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where where do you see uh, do you see any like big changes in the industry happening that you think that you guys are kind of getting like ramping up for or anything like that? Or um, I could speak a little yeah. bit to, to, you know, immediate stuff. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's a secret to many people, probably not your mm -hmm. listeners and viewers that e-bikes will continue, you know, we see continued growth in e-bikes. Right. Um, you know, we see what's happening in Europe and their popularity and, you know, especially during the pandemic, them being transportation alternatives, you know, people mm -hmm. were, if you only had a little bit to get outside, you didn't want to be in a car. So, um, you know, that'll continue to grow and we're going to follow that trend. And, yeah. and, you know, we see gravel really growing a lot. Um, you know, I think a lot of road cyclists and triathletes have been <clears throat> increasingly uh, nervous about being out on open roads with traffic. And a lot of those athletes are transitioning over into gravel. Um, you know, just a lot of people kind of feel safer out there and, you know, I think there are a lot of mountain bikers, including our athlete team, who, while they focus on mountain biking, they like to have the gravel bike is like the extra, you know, yeah. horse in their stable, so to speak. And, yeah. um, you know, we we sponsor a professional triathlete, Rach McBride, who's transitioning into gravel racing. So mm -hmm. it's definitely a growing category. And you can even see it in event offerings. There's way more gravel races now than there were two years ago or five years ago. So. Yeah, it's interesting to me to see that that um, that space growing. Mm -hmm. I, so, so you think it just attributes to people like not wanting to be on the road, but like and still enjoying riding? Basically, is what you're saying. I think it's part of it. Um, I think the benefit of a lot of gravel bikes is that they're versatile. You know, to Michael Brown's point, we, what we call a hardtail now was kind of like a gravel bike before. That's the overdrive. So they're, yeah. they're definitely flat bar gravel bikes, but I think that if you were used to road and drop bar, you know, most of our gravel bikes are drop bar. So if yeah. you're used to the handling and maneuverability of a road bike, you're going to feel pretty comfortable on a gravel bike. You know, it's basically a wider tire. And I yeah. think that people who are used to handling mountain bikes would be 
fine on a gravel bike too. So it's yeah. kind of kind of a middle ground, which is nice. Yeah, for me, I just couldn't um, talk myself into buying a road bike. So I was like, I can do this. <laughs> so I use, it's pretty flat in Sacramento. I used to ride a lot of, um, I have a single speed bike that's with drop bars. And, and um, after a while, the lady and I started riding more and she wanted to do more climbing. And it got to a point where I was like, okay, well, I need more gears. Yeah. And uh, I just didn't want to spend the money on a road bike because I knew that I wouldn't use it that much you know and where the gravel bike i could actually see myself like oh well i could do this ride from my house up to this trail system and you know it's like 15 miles 20 miles away but i could still like do a little loop up there on the trails <clears throat> and then ride back and that's still like that that's like in the wheelhouse you know oh yeah Pe i mean people use them for commuting on road or you can take a little off or I mean, I, I tell a story of my husband had a knee surgery and was signed up for a half Ironman and he was more comfortable riding his Hanjo than his tri bike. So he, he took his gravel bike for, you know, a long distance triathlon. So, yeah, you know, it can kind of do everything, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. 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 It is. It is definitely, it's a fun bike. Yeah. Is there, um, is there anything that you guys feel like like you would have done differently over the last few years, like after like looking back at, at how things played out with the pandemic. Stockpiled components. Yeah. <laughs> Bought a warehouse. Yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so any, anything else that you're thinking about for the future? Um, I mean, for us as a brand, we're definitely, you know, we, we like where we live, but we want to grow it. <laughs> You know, we, we appreciate that there has been kind of a pandemic fueled bike boom mm -hmm. and, you know, all we can do to try and keep it going is continue to make people feel welcome and safe on mm -hmm. a bike. And I think for a lot of us that have been riding a long time, maybe we, we forget how scary it can be to, you know, go out on a trail for a first time or show up to a group ride for a first time, or just like put your butt on a seat for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're, we're really focused on how to get that next generation of riders feeling comfortable and safe and, you know, just making sure that we're trying to be as inclusive as possible because, you know, frankly, A, because it's, you know, more fun with more people riding. We yeah. need more people riding to, you know, advocate for more riding. But mm -hmm. also we know that like as an industry, we need more people riding. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's really our our focus from the, from the brand standpoint. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you see that? Or do you think that a lot of these new riders will stick down? I mean, you guys have, have you guys seen any kind of like numbers that are like, ah, oh, this is how many people we think we're actually going to get out of it or. The numbers are interesting because I mean, you can have numbers show anything you right. want to say, and we, and we can only predict, you know, like right. none of us have lived through a, a pandemic where we have numbers to gauge off historicals, right. but, um, you know, I think everyone's optimistic, you know, everyone yeah. shows the numbers as continued growth. I mean, especially in the e-bike segment where we can see what's been happening in <clears throat> Europe. Um, mm -hmm. so everyone's optimistic about it. And so mm -hmm. we, we hope that that's right. And we hope we're, we're all doing everything we can you know, mm -hmm. not just as a brand, like as an industry right. for us all to like work together and make sure that that happens. Did, did you guys like ramp up your amount of bikes that you guys were, were manufacturing after this, or are you trying to like 
get what you were getting before and like like kind of just sell that or how's that <laughs> it's a combination yeah. yeah so it's it's a good question i mean we have more retailers than we did before mm -hmm. so you know they're our, our team really wants to supply the, especially the independent local bike shops as many bikes as they can. You know, we want those guys right. to all survive. Um, and, you know, I think part of the challenge and, you know, this is no secret if anyone follows what's going on in supply chain is that you're putting in orders, you know, over a year ahead of time. Yeah. So I, I think that we're cautious about it. You know, we're, we are not one of the brands saying, give us 5,000 times what we right. <laughs> made before. Right, but right. You know, we're optimistic that, you know, sales will continue in, in an upward direction. So we, we're trying to order to accommodate that. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure what brands are doing. You know, I know that initially, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it all. Initially, a lot of brands were like, ah, oh, never mind. We're, we're, we're going to only go on in this pandemic. We don't need all this stuff, all that stuff. And then like two months later, everybody's buying bikes. And they're like, just kidding. Can you give us more? <laughs> and then... Uh, and then I think after that, it was, okay, well, now we need to figure out, like, what is the number? Like, are we actually going to continue selling 20 or 30% or whatever it was more than what we, we were buying before? Or is, okay, the, the did the, the hump kind of happen? And, <clears throat> and now we you know, got to figure out what's the new norm. I, so I would imagine it's just um, pretty difficult, huh? And I think it's, you know, for us, where I feel grateful for like where we were at the beginning of the pandemic and now and future, we didn't have like a lot of knee jerk reactions. You know, mm -hmm. I, I kind of felt like we did a good job of just like, it's going to be okay. Let's keep like plugging along with the work we're, we're doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, maybe we need a, a part two follow up in three years so we can all talk yeah. about how right or wrong we all, we all are yeah. today. Yeah, definitely. I can imagine. That, that would uh it's it, it's definitely un uncharted territory right so everybody's kind of making it up as they go and i mean i've heard some of the supply chain issues where it's like oh no we have the bikes but we don't have any cardboard to put them in you know, like no boxes you know it's like just like some ridiculous thing where you're like are you serious like that's where the problem is right now so it can't be. <laughs> yeah. or, you, or you hear about boats you know sinking yeah. in the middle of the ocean <laughs> right yeah were you guys affected by any of that i don't think so i don't yeah, think anything not. sunk for us yeah you're good there, <laughs> then, huh? there, the, uh, there... i'd say this the container ransom thing though i think we were all suffering from that what's the container ransom <laughs> hey the bikes are loaded they're in a can oh by the way <clears throat> what price is a little you gotta you gotta add a little cost yeah. or the, the shipping company says hey for us to get this off the dock yeah and we need a little bit of extra cash yeah you know, so just, just turning it up turning it up yep yeah i know i was talking to somebody i can't remember what it was and it was like they wanted to charge them more per piece than what they were retailing them for to get them shipped to them and they were like i that doesn't work. You, know, like, you can't do that. <laughs> it's so. it's tough. And I, and I mean, even, you know, domestically, you know, uh, I guess it was last winter when there were tons of snowstorms in the middle of the country. You know, it's like literally bikes were just sitting on FedEx trucks on the side of the road for two weeks. You know, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's hard everywhere. So it's definitely, yeah. definitely been interesting. Yeah. 
Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to sit down and chat with me. It's been really fun. Do you feel like there's anything that, that we didn't touch on? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I wasn't sure. So I figured I'd, I'd throw it out there just in case. But no, definitely really appreciate every uh, all the time that you guys, you know, sat down here and chat with us about the brand. And I think it's really exciting what you're doing. I, I like I, I really like seeing a company that's catering to bringing people into the sport. And it seems like you're doing a really good job of that. So um, kudos to you guys. So keep keep doing that because it seems like you're getting a lot of people into the sport and um they're having a good time doing it. So definitely appreciated there. Um, those of you guys that are listening, if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, go ahead and do that. I would appreciate it. If you would like to pick up a hip pack, go hit the link and show more and check out Lab Austra. They're definitely worth it. It's definitely um, a hip pack that I've been super happy with and all my friends are too. So apparently we're all we're, we're all on the same kick of trying to stop carrying the big camelback around. So that's been my thing this last year, I'd say, is downsizing the camelback, getting all the, the tools on the bike and carrying as little as possible. So if you want to check one out, go ahead and do that. If you want something for free, swing by my Instagram or my Facebook at B1KER or at b one k-e-r-b-1 and uh that would be that would be much appreciated you can also check out diamondback bikes their link is in Shimmore as well and uh have a, have a look at some of the new models that they have coming out here soon or what they got on the site right now that would definitely be good i appreciate your time once again guys and remember one thing if if there's only one thing that you remember it only takes a bike to be a biker get out and be one